There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Thomas, good morning. Morning, Willie. Morning. We've got plenty to talk about this week. As always, Let's, as always. We'll start off with our pal, Andrew Bailey. Well, Willie, you'll never believe it. A Tory MP agrees with Lord Willie Hockey. He compared... Andrew Bailey was in front of the Commons Treasury Select Committee and um, a Tory MP said it was a woeful neglect of duty. <laughs> Could you put it any stronger than that, Willie? Well, I think we've actually put it stronger than that over the months, but I think it's it's important for the, for the listeners, especially for business. Some good news this week, obviously, inflation has dropped to 8.7, down yep. to 10.1. But the bad news in the back of that is they're still saying, even with that, that it looks like interest rates will still go up. I don't understand that. Things are so confusing for the consumers, for business, and obviously the big, big news this week, even on the day of that good news, that food inflation is still rampant. Still there, Willie. And we believe that people were called in, people in the the chain, the food chain, have been called into Downing Street this week, and they're talking to them. So you've got to get to the bottom of how some household items can be 100% more than they were six months ago. You know, all of this, they've got to get to the bottom. You know, what, what's Brexit caused? We can't get workers, we can't get stuff. But this this rampant inflation is in a, is in a place where it affects the rank and file every day of the week. So, so let me ask you this, Willie. Do you think that Andrew Bailey and his team are just incompetent? Or do you think trying to forecast things like this is just very, very difficult. I don't think it's difficult. I think they have had their heads buried in the sand, right? And it's interesting, Tom, his excuse to the select committee was the metrics for forecasting is broken. Right? <laughs> I we know told it's broken, them that two Willie. years ago. We told them that <laughs> two years ago. But uh, I think that... Uh, Hopefully that they're going to get their act together. But they have to. You cannot come in front of the select committee and get slaughtered with the people on the committee. You can't. You're, you're, you know, your you're Jake is in a shooky peg, as we would say. A, a shooky peg. So I think we talked about it last week. Andy Haldane um, was a chief economist with Bank of England, now one of Rishi Sunak's chief advisors. He was saying to pause the interest rates, the next decisions in June, obviously, But I agree with him. I don't think we should be putting up interest rates again off the back of this. Now, hidden in the small print when I read the thing, Andrew Bailey is now saying inflation will be at 2% early 2005. That's what he's now saying. What do you think of that? I think he's trying to cover his bahookie. <laughs> I another, think he's been wrong. Another Scottish so, accountancy I, term. I think he has been so wrong in the past two years that he's got to say something outrageous, right? As I said before on the back of some of these statements, if interest rates are at 2%, by, I'll even give them to the end of 2024, I'll eat my heart, right? <laughs> I'll eat my heart. 
So there's some good news, Wally. A friend of the show, good friend of the show, Tommy Cook from yes. Calnex, I read in the Herald this week that his year-end turnover to March up 25% and his pre-tax profits, 7.2 million, up 21%. So well done, Tommy. Keep in touch with the show. More power to your elbow. He says things all turn round for him when he come on the show. The Go Radio show catches other parts. That <laughs> took him into a new stratosphere. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with good news. We obviously had the minister on last week saying that there was some green shoots and, and we agreed there was some. Yep. And it's interesting that um, it's, it's come out this week that there's been a record investment in Scottish businesses. A report from Scottish Enterprise showed there's nearly a billion invested across the year in total of 407 deals. Some of the larger deals were 100 million investment in Torex, uh, pharmaceuticals based in Aberdeen and 164 million into Go Fibre, which was formed in Duns, which is up that area again, I believe, yep. in 2017. So on that, I'd like to give him a wee tip. Right, on your We've goal, been Wally. talking for weeks and weeks about how Scotland could be at the forefront of the new green, uh, green energy revolution. And they should be. Right? Enlightenment too. Yes. This week, it's been reported that one of the top um, companies in England in solar cells, right, so it's Oxford PV, have stated that they want to move out of Oxford. There was a spin-out at the university in 2010 and they want to leave the UK because it's not investable. Oh, dear. So if we had that new green zoning for Scotland, we could welcome them with open arms, build a new factory in Scotland. So Come to Scotland. Richard, got on the phone to them. Come on, Richard. Do do what you said you were going to do. Yeah, there, there, there were a Votovolticus company that was, that was out of Oxford University 2010. They're well regarded. We wouldn't like to lose them to Hong Kong. Oh, never. No, never. Never. How could you build a factory in Hong Kong anyway? Exactly, like? exactly. Not enough land. Should we be worried, Tom? State of Montana have banned TikTok, right? <laughs> and there's been talk over the last few months about the dangers of TikTok. So the, the, what we are saying, the cynics are saying the Chinese influence in TikTok is dangerous. It's banned in Parliament. You know, we're not allowed to use it. It's banned in so many places. Now it's banned in a state. I believe TikTok are taking them to court. Are they? They're going to court. But should we be concerned? Well, I'm not sure, Willie. I use TikTok because I'm a great music fan and... The AI that's put out there, the minute I like Elton John or the average white band or something, it instantaneously is sending me stuff straight away. So it's clever tech. Are the Chinese government spying on me? I mean, that's that's the worry, isn't it? But why don't we ask our guest who's coming on the show today, Laura from Tag Digital. I think she's in a good place to actually tell us because I'm not sure. Okay. If we want to be worried about things, and we have been talking about policies that have been made on the hoof, and then they turn out to be not a good idea. And one of the ones I read about this week that really concerns me as someone who's got something like three and a half thousand vans and cars on the road every day in my business in the UK, is that there is plans to tax motorists on the per miles that you travel. Okay. Right? Right. I, so, I, I missed that one, Willie. And the reason for it is that they're forecasting that the Treasury will be down $25 billion by 2030 because of the, the... You can't win. So because everyone's moving to electric cars, the Treasury is losing their fortune, so they've got to find another way about how they can get money back in. And I think 
that this is something that could be really, really dangerous. I think they should take a lot more time to study what the downside of this could actually be. Well, we're all talking about right policy with business, not to business. So that sounds like another one of these things, Willie. Um, another bit of good news, I was at the Edge Awards dinner on Thursday of this week and who turned up but the First Minister. Very good. So um, we always judge people and what they do, not what they say. So it was nice to see him. And the Edge, which just to remind our listeners, is supported by the Hunter Foundation, Royal Bank of Scotland and the Scottish Government. Um, we invested $1.4 on the night, Willie. We also talked about the launch of the pre-scalers with Edge. And since it started, I was asking Evelyn, the wonderful CEO there, um, what's the kind of top-line stats since we started? So there's been 569 winners. We've invested $23.6 million. And there's 3,281 jobs been created that wouldn't have been if we hadn't existed. Unbelievable. And this goes right to the heart of the point I made to the minister last week about leverage. That's right? it. So why would the government not be looking at edge, scale up, start up? Why are you not in there with barloads of money <laughs> when you're getting this sort of return, this bang for your buck, as the Americans would say? That's it. But... A great night, Willie. So, well done, every Edge winner. The Glasgow Chamber of Commerce update with Chief Executive Stuart Patrick on the Go Radio Business Show. A regular guest in the show, Stuart Patrick, is with us again this morning. Good morning, Stuart. Well, thanks, Willie. Um, okay, over the past fortnight, I have sat in on a series of workshops run by the team at Glasgow City of Science and Innovation, asking what businesses academic scientists and government agencies think needs to be done to expand the city's reputation as a hub both for scientific research and for taking some of that research to market. For those that don't know about Glasgow City of Science and Innovation, it was originally set up by Sir Kenneth Kalman to raise the profile of Glasgow's scientific community. And I was privileged to take over as the chair once Sir Ken chose to stand down. The team has been brilliantly led by Dr. Susie Mitchell, and with their help, the importance of Glasgow's research in, for example, engineering and the health and life sciences has become deeply embedded in the city's story. Our universities now play a central role in Glasgow's economic development plans with three innovation districts, a UK government-funded innovation accelerator partnership, and I expect a much more prominent place for Glasgow in the Scottish government's own innovation strategy, which is due for publication very soon. The team brought together over 100 people, all of whom are directly involved in shaping Glasgow's new technology-rich industries, and there were some strong messages about what is needed to keep those industries growing fast here. Do we place enough priority on the importance of our innovation economy? Is our risk appetite strong enough, given the likelihood that many commercialisation projects won't succeed? Are we placing the right bets on our most promising sectors like space, photonics or precision medicine? Have we built an effective community of experience around our innovators to help them grow successful businesses? And we, have we made it easy enough to access funding at the various stages of the business growth cycle? But perhaps the most regular question was whether we were doing enough, even with the work of the team at the Glasgow City of Science and Innovation, to get across to investors, to future talent and to government agencies just how strong the potential is of Glasgow's innovation economy. 
One new member of the Glasgow business community added his own voice to that debate this week. Andy Cliff, the new boss at AGS Airports, owner of both Glasgow and Aberdeen Airports, suggested in highly diplomatic language that collectively Team Glasgow is punching below our weight. Coming from outside Glasgow, Mr Cliff took time to consult with many of the players in growing the city's economy and felt that Glasgow had considerably greater economic strengths than the world appreciated. That makes it more difficult for the airport to win the airline investments and direct routes that we want to see. And so he is offering to add his own contribution to help Glasgow get our message across. That is a welcome offer that I know the city's business community will want to support. That's not to say that there isn't work already being done. Only a fortnight ago, the annual All Energy Conference brought a record total of delegates to the Scottish Events Campus to trade in the renewable technologies that will help us tackle climate change. The city's iWrite Book Festival has been running all this week. And in August, the UCI World Cycling Championships come ever closer. The Borough Collection is in the running to be named as this year's Art Fund Museum of the Year at a ceremony in the British Museum in London in July. But it's clear that we could and need to do more to showcase the breadth and depth of Glasgow's capabilities. Before the pandemic struck, we had launched a fresh Glasgow business narrative as a response to research showing that while the city was recognised for its growing success as a tourism destination, there was nothing like the same appreciation for its business base. Now that the pandemic is behind us, Mr Cliff has reminded us that our collective marketing function needs a fresh boost. In the meantime, at the Chamber, we've been making our own start by holding our very first Congress of Business to map the progress the business community here is making towards net zero. Alongside the Scottish Government, the University of Glasgow and the British Chambers of Commerce, we aim to make this an annual event as a legacy of the city's hosting of COP26, showcasing the successful examples of companies delivering on their environmental commitments. We want the message of these successes to be spread all around the world. So this segment this week, we're going to cut a wee bit short because we've got two great guests on. Wow. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Laura Davidson, CEO of Tag Digital, about the future of AI and how it may impact business in the future. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's first guest is Laura Davidson, CEO of Tag Digital. Tag Digital are specialists in paid media across search, social, programmatic and video exclusively in the events sector. So, Willie, um, a surprise guest this morning is Laura Davidson of Tag Digital. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Good morning. And um, we're delighted to have you on. Um, you can tell us a bit about your story, about the growth of Tag Digital, um, but we want to get to the meat and the bones of AI. And um, 
Willie, when Laura, who's on the Scale Up 2.0 programme, um, we were looking, well, I was looking to try and understand about AI and Laura did a presentation to the group and a, it, it blew us all away because it was so practical and I really think our listeners need to know what's happening today, not sometime in the future. And Laura, your presentation was brilliant. I sent it to Willie, but I don't think he's read it yet. <laughs> I, I don't think his dial-up connection and I'm, internet I'm still was, on page one. Was, was working. So, Laura, good morning. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. So, so tell us a wee bit about how you get started and how you get into Tag Digital. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Tag Digital started back in 2011 um, with my then boyfriend, now husband right. and father of three kids. Wow, <laughs> yep. you've been busy. Yeah, we've been busy. We've been kept busy the last 12, 12 years. So we just had our 12th birthday there. Um, and going back to the beginning, we had both had jobs. Um, Craig had been in marketing and I had been in a, a video startup. And wasn't maybe going the direction that we both wanted, maybe had experienced, you know, not amazing time from from managers and thought maybe we could go have have a go at creating something ourselves. Uh, we were both 24 at the time. And I think our spirit was, well, what have we got to lose? You know, that was pre-kids and mortgages and all of those things. And that, well, if it doesn't work out, we can always get a proper job. Um, so we started out and we brought kind of digital services to local businesses. And it was like going out, chapping on doors, building websites, doing graphic design, doing social media, just anything that people would kind of pay us to do, which we were just amazed at the novelty of that. And I'll never forget our very first customer, the very first time that somebody says, yeah, I'm going to pay you for something that you've completely <laughs> made up. It's totally made up. <laughs> and it was a little art gallery and my guy paid me £100 to do their social media training. So I thought, I better go and build some social media training, which I did. And so that it kind of started out like that. And then we started to specialise in paid media. So advertising on digital and then we specialized in a, in a niche which was events and once we specialized on those two things the business really started to grow so right. we moved to London we got our first corporate client uh, quite quickly we started exporting so we started exporting to Dubai and the Middle East fairly quickly uh, and then North America so we're really focused on one niche but it's a pretty big niche um, about 80% of our turnover comes from out with the UK uh, our clients are loads of people you've never heard of, like some advanced manufacturing show in Brussels. And right. then the people that everyone knows are like Ted, which we're really happy to win them, and The Economist um, and people like that. So, so, so just so that I understand and the listeners understand, what do you do for, for TED Talks? What, so how does it work? We make sure that people get to their conferences and buy tickets for their conferences. So there's right. the big TED, which we run in, which was in Vancouver this year. And then they'll have lots of other spin-out shows. So they'll have TED Women or TED Tech or TED Scale Up or something like that. Um, and we run advertising to make sure that the right kind of people see those ads, buy tickets, go to their show, and it's all trackable. Right. Um, and we do the same thing over and over and over again. And, and we like to think we're quite so, good. So I'd like to right. come in a lot. I've got a wee complaint. Okay. Now oh. I know that you're responsible. Oh, when I'd done my TED Talk at the West of Scotland University, there was three empty seats at the back. Oh, no. <laughs> oh but that was I think that was my time. family that never turned up. <laughs> that must have been before they got us on board. Um, but yeah, we make sure that that um, all their digital advertising works. Um, and yeah, loads of people you've never heard of as well. So, so, so Laura, 
for the listeners this morning, how how is it working with husband and wife team? Yeah. What's the pros? What's the cons? It's, it's obviously working for you guys. Yeah, I think um, we have common goals. So I think when you're working as a husband and wife team, you're trying to build something for your family. Um, you are very honest with each other, maybe too honest sometimes. <laughs> but I think, you know, communication is the hardest thing. And if you've got a business partner and you're always trying to manage that communication, whereas Craig and I can kind of shortcut a lot of that and we, we can get to the point. We've learned, we've learned how to do that. We've got quite separate roles in the business. I think that helps. And also I think just we've got used to it. Loads of people say, oh, I could never work with my partner, but I think a lot of the time you actually could when you see how they come into their own. I'm getting flashbacks here. <laughs> <laughs> to the early days. Me and yeah. Susan. Oh, well, it's great well, fun. Well, like, you didn't work with Susan. Susan told you what oh, to do. The, 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 the final <laughs> phrase to the end of every argument that me and Susan had about business back in the house was, well, you can make your own tea. <laughs> <laughs> Which you should be doing anyway, Willie. Um, so, so give the listeners a, a wee feel of the size of the business now, Laura, because yeah. I was amazed when you when you told me. Yeah, so last year we did uh, about eight and a half million. We're about 40 people, um, but we've got a lot on the horizon. So we're hoping to do about 18 million by the end of this year wow. uh, with a team of around 63, 64. And, and where's the... Have you got one base or you got a few bases? So or? our team are all... The majority are based in Glasgow. Uh, we have a few who are based in Manila. We've got a small team there. Manila? Manila. Right. Uh, so we have a small so team in Manila. So what happens in Manila? So it is um, hard to get digital talent in Scotland at the rate that we need it at. It? We've right. built our own digital academy. So we're taking on school leavers or college leavers and we're putting them through a year's training programme. So they don't have to have any experience when they come to us. We put them through all the training. But it takes a long time to do that and the pace we're growing, trying to get people. We're really um, enjoying being back in the office. It's been great for culture. So when we have all those requirements, it does limit the talent pool a little bit. So uh, we have a small base in Manila and the team are supported by by some guys Can there. Can I ask, how did you find Manila had this talent? So... <laughs> Outsourcing is a government-backed initiative in Manila and the whole country operates kind of supporting other countries to be technical execution. So the work is absolutely amazing and, yeah, we've been able to involve the team, create that sense of belonging. We've got our team going there, they're coming over here. So it's let us have this kind of 24-7 model where also be as part of a new contract having some of our team in the US so it gives us like 24-7 operations with our HQ remaining in Glasgow so we need to have that global mindset as the business grows um, and kind of make strategic decisions about where where that's best to be. Wow are you trading in Manila Willie? No no Not I, yet? I, I've trained in in Pakistan before I've trained their conditioning engineers when I worked for UTS Carrier and they were amazing but it just shows you you know obviously we 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 stray into politics here. Oh, it never, you, never. It just shows you no, that the point that you're making there, that obviously the people there understand the negativity of being there about jobs, but what they, they understand the opportunities. Mm -hmm. So their colleges, their universities, they know the type of... So they're, they're getting kids ready for the jobs that are available that could be outsourced there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we are trying to do our bit here, absolutely, and advise and bring on. And we built our own academy because we just didn't see that maybe the people that were coming out of university had any sort of 
real digital skill set, maybe more generic marketing, but not digital and certainly not paid media, which is the, one of the fastest growing areas of digital marketing. So we felt we had to build that build that skill set ourselves, which we've done. But um, yeah, it's it's slow and not the pace we need. So we'll, we'll keep going, we'll keep investing. Whereabouts sure. is your headquarters in Glasgow? It's in Finiston. Yeah. So in theory, we're only 10 minutes, but it took me a bit longer because... You got lost. Directions aren't my strong. <laughs> no, this is a tough place to find. I can tell you, yeah. Boyd turn up, ended up getting a police, police escort. escort. A police escort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, right, so let's get to the heart of AI then, Laura. So everybody's talking about it, it's in the news, but you've been looking at this for some time in your business. So give us your view, how long you've been looking at it and what are you doing today and where's the opportunities and what the companies need to watch out for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's a huge topic at the moment um, with chat GPT coming out and mid-journey, everyone's trying it, having a bit of fun and then kind of quietly, internally panicking. <laughs> um, so we have obviously used, used that, but going back a little bit, probably in about 2018, we started to look at what business processes can we automate? And that isn't all coming from me. Our CTO, Alex, is absolutely amazing. And he just looks at, okay, if we're automate, if we're doing something over and over again, can we automate it? So first of all, we looked at things like invoicing or we looked at media planning or we looked at briefing. And all of these potentially, you know, in media agencies or marketing agencies, are processes that were maybe four meetings, we gather the same information. It's just the same thing over and over again. And it's really expensive time because you've got four people involved. So we started automating all of those things quite early on and we've continued to build on that. So we use the technology that we've got, maybe using Zapier or something like that, which is a just a simple kind of low-code solution so that you can automate these processes. So the goal is to bring away all of our kind of slow back-end processes, admin stuff that nobody likes doing, and there's all the leaky kind of buckets within there in terms of wastage, get the machines to take care of that and let our team focus on delivering amazing customer service, building insights from the campaigns that they're running, spending time with their customers, upscaling, all of these things. So we've never been scared of the automation side of it. And I think that's what's happening now is there's just complete panic around it's going to take your jobs. And I think we can come at all these, all these things from, you know, a place of fear that it's going to replace our job, it's going to be displaced, what are we going to do? Or kind of from a broadly speaking place of love that there's lots of opportunities. So we took the love approach and there is lots of opportunities. And I think it's about businesses, first of all, upskilling the teams because the teams need to be educated. They're the ones that are maybe panicking. This is going to take away my job. And it might change your job and it might take away tasks actually that you don't enjoy, but it'll give you time to do other things. Having policies around AI. So after this, I'm happy to share or, you know, have a download for our AI policy. Because hardly any businesses have got them. A lot of the lawyers and things don't even have them yet. Um, have a policy around AI usage. What data are you giving it? You need to make sure that you're treating the data given to AI is as... Um, private as you would customers data your own data you really need right. to think about that um, and then thinking about the opportunities that it creates so yes jobs will be displaced but there's going to be over 100 million new jobs created and they're going to be different jobs to the jobs that we know but like you know when agriculture um used to employ 50 percent of americans then all the farming technology came out now it employs one to two percent of americans but they're not all unemployed. The unemployment rate's four or five percent or whatever in America. So yeah. it's just that it's, we're going to adapt and change. And 
you know, we were scared when newspapers first came out and we've all got used to that and we're now scared of our phones. So it's just, it's going to evolve. Yeah. So the thing that worries me is that since we've been talking about it over the last few weeks and when you've seen that some of the experts, the real experts, you know, Jeffrey Hinton, the guys that have quit because of the dangers. So I went back and done a wee bit of research and I tried to do a wee bit of research on inventors. So I read about Edison, I read about Nikola Tesla, I read about James Watt, I read about the Wright brothers, all pioneers. And I couldn't see anywhere at all in their history where they thought there was a danger of what they were doing. They'd never seen any, and there was a lot of dangerous stints, a lot of people died pioneering. But the thing that worries me about AI at the moment is, is that there's so many people who understand it, you know, a thousand times more than us are saying, that it's beginning to sound like kind of frankenstein -y, that we're creating a monster here that might have a mind of its own. The point that you make, um, Laura, is that imagine you put some of these private data in there and the thing ends up with a mind of its own. <laughs> Seriously, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure I've heard Tim Berners-Lee do a few talks about he hopes one day that he doesn't regret giving the World Wide Web to people. Right, that it ends up becoming more of a negative society than it is a positive. And I think that for technology and advanced technology the way that the AI is, it's scary that it's so quick into the process that so many people who understand it better than us are saying, whoa, hold on a minute. Yeah. Right, this is the thing that's scaring me more than anything. So, so what, what would you say to that, Laura? Yeah, I think the pace that it's going at and the people that are distancing themselves is definitely something to take note of. And I think that the fact that they're isn't really strong ethical committees or some of the big tech companies have decided to fire their ethical <laughs> AI committees, which they got um, reprimanded for as well. And eventually the audits are going to come on this tech. And I, I think what the issue is for a lot of the tech companies is they actually don't really know how it works. So if that technology gets audited, they don't have a clear trail of how it's making these decisions. And that's what is, is the bit that's scaring people is it's a black box they don't even really know how it means and there's outputs that are happening. So I think, again, though, it feels like the early days of the internet when it was completely the Wild West. There's no real legislation on it. People don't understand how bits work. The people that are um, going to be ruling in some of these committees that will eventually come out, they don't really understand it. Like when we saw the Facebook committee that was um, interrogating Mark Zuckerberg, they didn't really understand the questions that we were asking. So I think we're still in like yes. a real figuring out phase. Um, but with businesses, if they think about the bits that they can control, take as many safe measures as they can, because it's coming one way or another. Even if these letters come out, you know, you've got these hundreds of millions, billion dollar funds that are being created specifically for AI, development of AI, the money's there and the companies aren't going to stop developing. So it's, I think it's about putting the guardrails in place and having these smart people to do that so it's used as ethically as possible. But yeah. yeah but I think this is a really good point you make. I mean, you see this week there's a new, you know what, so I think it's Google and someone else is in a partnership. They had to stop the money that was flowing into it. Mm -hmm. Right? There was that many people queuing up and I just hope that greed just doesn't get in the way of us creating a monster. Right, and that's what it looks like at the moment. And if I was worried beforehand about some of these experts, I'm really worried when I hear that they're sacking their <laughs> ethics and morals committees. Right, that would really worry me. Yeah, I, so, I think they'll be hired back. At, yeah. at, so, <laughs> the government will have to make them. So, yeah, Laura, up, yeah. Yeah. threat or opportunity, we've got to take care of both. But in, in your business practically today, 
what is AI really helping you with and going, wow, that's a real benefit to my mm -hmm. business? Yeah. Um, so the things that we're loving, and this may be some of the dull stuff, yeah, the automation of invoices, that's basically done right. um, creating an automation there. So, you know, in media agencies, there's lots of mistakes that happen with media spend and accuracy of billing, as probably lots of businesses do. That makes life really, really easy. We know that that's all done. In terms of the conversational AI or the generative AI, we are looking at it to use um, to create copy for us that's compelling, written in uh, a tone of voice. If you want to have Tom Hunter, let's make it sound like the ad <laughs> copy is coming from Tom. Uh, you can do that. We are doing things. We are recording our exit interviews and people exit the business, creating transcripts, and then we're learning from those. Right. We are using it to generate creative, which is... I, I agree that I think one of the things that we said was, oh, AI will never touch the arts. But actually what we're now seeing is things like mid-journey and you can say, so, you know... So sorry, what is mid-journey? So mid-journey is generative AI, okay. which um, means that you can create images using prompts. So if you said, create me a beautiful landscape of Scotland with right. a Go Radio studio in the middle of it, you just <laughs> write that and it's built for you. Wow, and, there you go, William. Um, so we're, so we're testing that in terms of creative. And I think that shows actually that just leans into a little bit around the displacement of the jobs is a job of the future is going to be a prompt engineer. So that's not something that we ever knew. Like It's not a title yet. It's no. not a title yet. It's on LinkedIn. So tell me what's a prompt, so a prompt engineer, engineer going to do. So the AI at the moment can't think of the ideas itself. That's got to come from us. So you need to have business leaders, you've got to have strategists, you've got to have planners to think of the ideas. Um, so what that means is you need to prompt the AI correctly to be able to, to get the results that you want. So there's still a skill set. If you're a photographer, if you're an artist, if you're a sculptor, you can prompt the AI better because you're more technically skilled. Right. Rather than if I say, draw me a pretty picture because I'm not skilled there. So a prompt engineer and asking the AI correctly to do the right thing will be a job of the future. And it's already a pretty well-paid job that's come out. Going, going back to the business, especially the growth, and someone who had a quantum leap in their business to to maybe go from 8 million turnover to 18 million. Are you ready for that challenge? <laughs> I'll be there. I'll, I'll be ready when the time comes, I think. Um, the likelihood, you know, we did a statistic recently with our team um, and I think it was like 0.12 to get to where we are now with a female co-owned business that's lasted the amount of time that we have, that's generated revenue, have the likelihood of that is so unlikely that, yeah, I think we'll, we'll be ready for the yeah. next phase. Um, but we need to scale up and there's more that we need to do, but we're, we're gearing up for that next phase. Yeah. It's, it's operationally, you know, more than anything, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a huge challenge. We, we went from 10 million to 30 million. And we were really lucky at that time because to be transfer had just been introduced mm -hmm. or we could never have done that. Mm -hmm. So if we were to transfer like, you know, 400 people from another business, for us to go out and recruit and do it, it would have probably taken us twice as long, you know, to hit the ground running than it would have done. So um, I, I don't envy you. I remember, I remember that. I remember that more than going from... 100 million to 180 million, yeah. you know, back then when we were so small, it meant new premises, 
right? We couldn't work, you know, we, we tried everything we could to work out the space that we were in, but we found that after like two months, no, no, this is not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard and I think the communication gets really hard. So when the team goes from like 20 to 40 to 60, you, the communication doesn't work. And I think that's the hardest thing to get right yeah. in a business. So before you're all sitting in an office and we can all talk and we all, we're all saying the same thing and then you get to 60 people and it's like, oh, well, that's what I said and that's not what someone else heard and that's going through two or three layers of management. So I think that, yeah, all of the, the logistical operational side of it, but I think the complete change in how you need to adapt your communication uh, will be will be a big a big shift for us. Where do you see yourself if you think that far ahead in five years? Oh, we want to be over £100 million in, in turnover and um, we are absolutely confident that we're on that journey to do that. Uh, I think continuing to grow the business globally, we are investing heavily in new products that we're building. So we feel that there's a whole technology side of the business that's just getting off the ground. So yeah, we've got really big ambition and, and feel really confident we can get there. Yeah. And do you have any plans? Obviously you've got you know a training base in Miller, but you're working in, in, in North America. Have you got any other plans for global dominance? Yeah, so we we do a lot of work in the Middle East as well. So uh, we we do we do have a company in Dubai and also Saudi is a big market for us as is Abu Dhabi. So we would look to expand into those markets, have some of our team there, hire people that are there that understand all the eccentricities within the culture. Um, but yeah, we've we've worked in the Middle East for quite a long time, uh, and and yeah, it's another really key growth area that the things are doing in Saudi is. I'm thinking where we operate, where it would be, you know, I think it'd be a big market for you like in Hong Kong. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Hong Kong and Singapore are, are two markets that, that we actually couldn't believe when we got there, you know, the, the size of the potential market there. Yeah, yeah. I am open to uh, any new ideas and, you know, we have a really open culture with our team. So any ideas, anything somebody wants to go and get off the ground, we're very open to it. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about what's coming next. Brilliant. Laura, amazing story. So, Laura, it's brilliant to see you. And um, a wee plug for the Scale Up. How's it going? Yeah, Scale Up 2.0 is next level. It has been absolutely amazing. So I've always been a huge fan of Scale Up. I was on the first uh, cohort in 2018. We had amazing businesses, all of which were, uh, we're still really good friends today. And we've gone on that journey together. And with 2.0, I think it's, it's the next level. It's a lot of similar challenges, just bigger. Uh, but yeah, the, the peer network is unbelievable. The speakers, I mean, the last the, the last <laughs> one was uh, a mind-blowing experience. We had, we had Prof Evans on and Theo, who'd been on the show, Willie. So it was, um, aye, it was different. It was It was a really, uh, I felt very privileged to be to be part of that conversation. And Kim Perdicu was absolutely amazing. She was and great. I think aye. everyone was scribbling. Again, on the show, Willie, yes. Kim. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. she was great. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, thanks for what you're doing in Scotland. I think it is what people need. And I sometimes just think, I don't know where we'd be without Scale Up. The, yeah, the network that we've got, I just don't know if that we would have got right. those opportunities. Well done, you and Ken. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, yep. it's been brilliant. You could come in. Hopefully the listeners got a wee bit out of it in terms of AI. And um, But let us know what you think out there. Thanks a million, Laura. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to this week's second guest, Simon Biltcliffe, the founder, former CEO and current executive chairman of Webmart and Trade Print Management. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into organised and digital workflows. Go Radio.
There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Hunter and Hockey's second guest this week is Simon Bilcliffe, the founder, former CEO and current executive chairman of national print services agency Webmart and the world's first digitally driven print platform, Trade Print Management. Simon, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, Simon. That sounds like good morning Vietnam there. That was that was a very... Absolutely, well, you know. The sun is shining, I'm in Yorkshire, what more can one want in life? Absolutely. Simon, before we come over to you for an intro, <laughs> I've got to say, I'm reading the bio here and it says you've got a Marxist capitalist business. Yes. Brown, I cannot wait to hear what, what that's about. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you, Simon, <laughs> I have been called a gold card carrying socialist. Champagne socialist, Wally, that's what you're called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, a Marxist capitalist is really simple. Um, we we use capitalism to create value, which is fantastic for doing that. Um, but it's dreadful at sharing out the value that's created. There is no re redistribution built within it. And also things like externalities, as we euphemistically call them, like pollution and the, you know, the carbon footprint and stuff are not taken care of. So we make sure we actually bring into our equation all of that. And then we share out the surplus profits, which I'm defined later, uh, which is uh, everything that isn't retained by the business to make it strong and have a strong balance sheet, et cetera. Um, and we share that out then amongst the team, the workers that make it. And we pay the, all the bonuses at the highest rate of marginal tax because it goes through payroll. But also all the cash we've got in the business, all the interest goes to charities. Wow. We've got, we make sure that everybody benefits from this. And, and when we've got cash in the, the business, as we have, we've got, um, it allows us to invest in things like the Webmart Oxygen Farm, which is a 164-acre uh, rewilding project that we've got in Coldingham in the borders. Um, and so we're enhancing the biodiversity and the environment of, of the world at the same time as doing a great job in marketing services and as well as giving a disproportionate return to everybody who works here. So everybody wins. And of course, the tax burden, um, as most people call it, I, I think is our contribution to society for the things that matter. So there is no downside to this approach to it. Would you like to tell the listeners a wee bit about how you started Webmart and how it all began? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it sounds like going back into medieval times now, but in 1993, I was working for a printing company, the BPC, British Printing Corporation, which had a factory in East Kilbride, uh, amongst many others. Um, and I, I won an award to be the top salesperson, and they took me out to Japan, where we bought all our ink from. And I went to see uh, the NEC Digital Labs, which was kind of a uh, research place in Kyoto, uh, and I saw this thing that you would, and I would now call a Kindle in 1993. And, it, uh, you know, with digital content that could be created and changed and morphed. And I came back to my company, which at the time was half a billion pound company. 
and said, we've got to, we've got to get into this. This is the future. And of course, you know, long story short, they said, no, we'll stick with the knitting. We'll I print. Uh, we'll, we'll do. And I thought, no, 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 this is not going to, this is not going to stand the test of time. So I set up Webmart in 1996 and we created the world's first uh, online print estimating engine. And uh, we went live in 2000, so that's 23 years ago. Um, and since then, we've constantly evolved the sustainability. We did our first sustainability audit in 2008. And so we've been well ahead of the curve uh, on that. And now we've got the world's first carbon calculators for all digital and physical media which we launched last week. So, wow. you know, it, it's been a it, it's been a long journey and, it, you know, we've never taken any outside investment. One of the things that, you know, I learned from all of the companies that I've worked for before <laughs> is that if you are in hock to the banks, then you, the choice of doing things different is severely limited because they are all very conservative with a small and big C. And, uh, it, and so we've been self-funded from the get-go. And now the balance sheet of, you know, eight and a half million quid, 20 million turnover, and there's 41 of us. Um, so it takes longer to get going, but it gives you the complete autonomy to do all the things that you want. And we've, we've done an awful lot of those different and unique things over our time. And in your, in your story, Simon, which is an amazing story, you started off working for someone, but then you had the burning desire to say, no, they don't really know what they're doing. I can see this. So was it always your plan to work for yourself or did it evolve over time? I think, I mean, I was doing all right. And you, you get into this kind of comfort zone of new cars every so many years and miss that and the other. But, you, you know, I'm, I had a desire at the age of 30 to, I needed to give it a go. And this corporate myopia, uh, was the spur to do it. And, you know, at the time I had two young daughters and a big mortgage, and I just thought, right, I'll give it a go. And if it works out, then great. And if it didn't, I'll go back and get another job. But I, what I wanted, it was really easy to get the roadmap for being a distinctive company because I did diametrically opposite to what companies <laughs> I'd worked for did. You know, you you develop the business around the people. You you make it a, a people-centric business. You you then, with your external value proposition, without getting to uh, jargony, uh, you focus totally on what it is that the customer wants rather than what it is necessarily you think you're selling them and develop solutions. And we were really early, as, you, as I alluded to, in developing software to automate and eliminate any non-value-added activity. And this is where we had an instant pricing engine where, you know, to get a print quote back in the day, it would take you two, three days if you knew where to go to. And we could do it in a matter of uh, about 20 seconds online. And so, you know, it gave us a really big competitive edge. And, you know, we started off as a print brokerage. And then we've evolved now into the leading sustainable marketing company, both online and offline, as one would expect. You've got to offer both, and there are significant advantages in, in covering both off. So the, the journey has been uh, one of, of trial and error, and there's been some significant errors. Uh, but at least if you've got your own money and you're doing it with your own money, nobody's going to sack you because, <laughs> you know, that's what it's there for. So when you say you've got your own money, Simon, when you started the business, and obviously you said you've got no outside investors, how did you get your seed capital to start the business rolling? Well, I mean, bear in mind, um, the, the actual 
startup cost of a print brokerage was at the time my Scion 3A little handheld computer yeah. and an office that literally I could reach all four walls by uh, yeah. laying on the floor. Um, it w- there wasn't a lot. I put right. £10,000 in my savings into it. Uh, and then I gr- started up by obviously se- selling print at a higher price than I bought it for. But I would get the printer to invoice my customer direct and I would invoice them the margin and they paid me when I got paid. And then as soon as I built up enough cash to be able to get a credit line myself, then I became the principal. So they were, give, you know, I was placing the orders myself. And so gradually that that built up over time. And, you know, now we've got about 7.2 million quid in the bank and, uh, we, you know, it, it isn't that kind of hand-to-mouth operation or anything like. So can I ask, I'm interested uh, in the comment that you say that all profit payments are run through the payroll system to ensure that society gets its slice of returns. Yes. I mean, how do you do that with dividends? Well, we, we, I've never taken a dividend out, for one thing, right. uh, which makes life easier. So the, the way it works is that we have what's called the sexy scheme. And the sexy scheme is the senior executive incentive scheme. And everybody who's been there for two years is a senior executive in webmark. So there's a two-year earning. And then, basically, the post-tax profits of what we have as a business the first £400,000 is retained in the business every year. So we've got a remarkably dull 45-degree angle of uh, acquired value in the business because that's the same whatever happens. That's enough. That's enough for us as a business to uh, innovate and, and uh, keep successful. And if we t- take some wrong turns, we learn from them and the money that we, we've lost, we've got to come out of our reserves. Anything above that 400000 gets shared out. And it gets shared out between 400,000 and a million pounds. Half goes to the team, half goes to me. Above a million pounds, the rest it entirely goes to the, the team. Wow. So this allows people to act as if they are entrepreneurs. It means that the, uh, there is a, a real incentive for profitable growth. And that gets that kind of alignment through it. But it's got to be done in the right way. And if you put that bonus then, through the payroll, obviously, everybody pays the highest rate of tax that they're due. So the exchequer gets, on average, about a 45% um, more income from a webmart here than it does from people on commensurate uh, incomes in other companies. Sorry, when you say that the first 400k of profit each year is allocated to the main shareholders, do you mean then it's allocated to the main as an increase in salary? It, no, it simply goes into the onto the balance sheet as retained right. profit. So it doesn't get taken out? It doesn't get taken out. Yep. It stays, it accrues. So, Simon, where did you get your point of view that really taking care of your people was the key thing? And I know you, perhaps you didn't see it working at the places where you had a job, so you thought you would do the direct opposite of that and really look after your team. But where did... Yeah. Where does that come from? Where do these values come from, do you think? Well, I I had the misfortune of living in Barnsley at the time of the miners' strike. And it, what it did was open your eye, it certainly opened my eyes to the abuse of power. You saw Thatcher shutting down an entire industry and leaving an enti- entire communities without any plan B to help them. They just left them. And they starved the miners out for a year, not giving any benefits or anything like that. And I just thought, this cannot be right. And I just thought, well, if you roll a business to be there on three levels, these are the three levels, the three 
pillars, if you like, of what we do. I want to maximize the intellectual return, the emotional return, and the financial return in that order of the people in WebMart. And if I aggregate them to a strong purpose that they buy into, you ain't going to go far wrong. And and the reason it's in, intellectual first is that we all have a unique skill set, and that might not tie into a defined job description. So my role is to make sure I understand the person and give them the role which allows them to be most successful based on their skill set. And we pivot people's jobs around to make sure that we are always delivering to them, to them the best benefit of intellectually stimulation and training and continuing professional development um, that they can have anywhere. And if they're doing that, they're, main, they're playing to their best talent, then guess what? People enjoy working at a company like that. And so they have a smile on their face. And the quality of service that they deliver and the interaction that they have with the suppliers and the customers and each other is a much more enriched one than they will get anywhere else. And finally, I want to make sure that I pay them as best as I possibly can. And that's where, obviously, marking to market is important, but also making sure that the sexy scheme is as big as it can be, because that is a team reward for working as effectively as the team can. A hot topic over the last few weeks, and we're going to dwell on it today, is the effect of AI. Yeah. How do you think it's going to affect, especially your business in marketing? I think it's going to ha it'll have more of an effect than uh, the internet has had. Wow! It, it is it is incredible what is. I'm lucky in that I I work um, as one of my kind of part time uh, voluntary jobs is with Oxford Brooks University, who have got an ethical AI lab there, and I've been on their rather quaintly named industrial advisory board now for ten plus years, and they have a twenty year view of what AI is going to do. You know, they've got people there like Fabio, who, you know, is a professor of AI that teaches other professors of AI and has written a 750-page book on it. You know, these are these are really clever people. Um, and it, what you know is, like, you know, you can go back to the agrarian revolution, the industrial revolution, the information and knowledge revolution. You know that anything that is repeatable, anything that is process-driven, that doesn't need empathy – is going to be automated. You know, you, you can think in your career, all of the roles that were were good roles in those days, but disappeared because of technological changes and, and, and uh, you know, business, old sectors of business that disappeared. So for me, what this means is I need to teach my team three things. One is creativity, because computers are proper rubbish at, at being creative. Um, creativity, maximize their creativity, maximize their strategy. They understand the strategy and how all of the pieces uh, work together within our clients and within our suppliers. And third thing is build on the empathy, listening to people actively, understanding non-verbal communications, body language, understanding psychometrics and, and that, because the nexus of those three things, creativity, strategy, and empathy, is what computers do really badly and what humans do really well. Everything else is at a significant chance of being automated. And, and where, tell listeners, where are you based? I am based in Barnsley. In, Barnsley? Uh, 
South Yorkshire. Barnsley. Simon, can I just say to you, this is a first for the Go Radio Business Show. You're the first person I've had from an English-based business because we thought your model for how you run your business would be of interest to the businesses in Scotland. So we're absolutely delighted you've come on. I want to thank you very much um, for being a My part pleasure. of the show. It's been brilliant. Thank you. And Simon, the, the next thank time I'm in Barnsley, I'm definitely coming in to see you. <laughs> you come down lovely take care alright right, Simon thank you for coming cheers bye bye bye, bye. 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 Thomas that's us finished for the season we're off from our holes we've got have we got any holiday pay Willie <laughs> I don't get any pay I mean holiday pay <laughs> so what have you got planned Willie what's on the horizon for the I'll office? be having a wee break right I'll be heading off to the cup final next week okay then I'll be taking myself off to sunny Mallorca for a few weeks Excellent. Well, um, we've got a bit of travelling to do. We've got the scale-ups to sort, and then I'll see you on the beach with my pina colada in Palma. Just don't have your budgie smugglers on. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and for all the listeners, we'll see you back in the first week in September. Yeah, keep on growing your business out there. We're behind you all the way, the Go Radio Business Show. Have a lovely summer. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go.